1: Good evening, welcome. You're listening to the Cave, we're live on DAB Digital Radio. I am Guy Johnson alongside Alex Steele over in New York. Alex, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, The story front and centre here in the UK is obviously the Queen's Health and we'll continue to monitor the news from Balmoral. Uh, We'll be joined very shortly by Lizzie Burden. Outside of that, we've had a big announcement on uh, the UK energy camp today. We'll talk more about that as well. Rachel Morrison is going to be joining us. Uh, Plus, we need to dig into what's been going on with the ECB and the Fed. Two big announcements today, or two big speeches today. Uh, The press conference from Christine Lagarde uh, and Jay
0: Powell speaking in Washington. Yeah, and apparently headline just crossing that ECB officials don't exclude 75 basis point rate hike uh, in October. And even Philip Blaine from the ECB is striking a more hawkish tone right now than during uh, his latest speech. It just sort of adds on to the hawkish tone that we've seen from the ECB, but it's nothing in comparison to the hawkish tone that uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell is uh, is striking. And you can see that within the currency differentials.
1: Absolutely. Um, What was interesting today... In terms of the ECB, though, was that it didn't get the currency reaction. We just have a quick look at euro dollar uh, just to see what the latest reaction to that was. If you had told me a year ago that the ECB was hiking rates by 75 basis points and Christine Lagarde would have sounded as hawkish as she did today, I would have told you that the, the, the euro would be shooting for the moon. It hasn't, and it's barely budging on this news as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would also argue, and you made this point, and that was my next question to ask when we were on TV, is that you could make the argument that the euro should be a lot worse dealing with all the economic uh, destruction from the energy crisis that we could potentially see, etc. So maybe the fact that it's only a parity in and of itself is a good thing? You know, like it's a kind of strong, hawkish thing? I don't know.
1: No, it, I, honestly, I think a lot of people are really surprised that the, UC, that the, the, the euro is hanging in there. Like spot 99.59... You could argue it could be much worse than this um, and I guess we've still got a winter to get through mm-hmm. and, and we just simply don't know how bad it's going to be and how high gas prices could be. And I think the the big fear now is that as we see caps being introduced across Europe that actually what, the bigger problem now will be shortages.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. And then it it, it strikes me as very difficult to see for the ECB how we're going to get to the 9 tenths percent growth um, that they're predicting for next year. I just don't quite know how that is going to happen. At the same time, I mentioned Fed Chair Jay Powell, and we'll get to all of this in more detail throughout the hour. Um, after his speech today at the Cato Institute, what well, was a Q and A? Uh, Bank of America, uh, Jefferies—they're increasing their terminal rate and they're increasing uh, their rate hikes expectations. They all see 75 bips now uh, for September. So it's hard to make a really uh, strong argument for the euro when you have a better economic conditions here in the U.S. We are not importing energy inflation, and you wind up having now 75 bips mostly priced in.
1: Yep. I it it's amazing. I think they're basically I think everybody's still playing catch up. Even yep. Wall Street I think is definitely uh playing catch up right now. So we we've got a we got a lot to work our way through and we've got a lot to think about today. But I have to say that the big news here in the UK has been a surprisingly candid assessment of the Queen's health by her medical team today, Alex. Um, I think we were all very concerned earlier on this week when we saw the Queen uh, welcoming Boris Johnson as the outgoing Prime Minister and Liz Truss as the incoming Prime Minister. How frail she looked, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there was a lot of concern that was heightened by those pictures—a um, potential bruise on her hand. Now we get this this speech. Uh, the, sorry, we get this this um, this announcement from the the Queen's medical team uh, and. And we are now very concerned about about her health. Uh, and we are watching very carefully what happens at Balmoral.
0: For here in the U.S., when we're dealing with, say, the president, health information seems to be pretty transparent. But the fact that there was a statement, can you just talk me through a little bit to how significant the fact it was just addressed was?
1: So so normally we, we do talk about the Queen's health. And as the older she's got, she's 96, we, we have spent more and more time focusing on her health. and And certainly... A lot of people pay a lot of attention when they see her to how she's looking. Generally, though, the statements we get from her medical team, her doctors, are fairly opaque. Mm-hmm. And we don't learn a lot about actually what is going on behind the scenes. It is treated, understandably, as a private matter. Um, she is the head of state, but unlike the president, she doesn't, she doesn't pull the strings, Um, And as a result of which it is treated, therefore, as a much more private matter. This was a very candid statement, I Mm -hmm. thought, from from um, from her doctors. And I think just highlights kind of where we are with her health and and the fact that we've also seen key members of the royal family joining her up at Balmoral, her highland home. Um, one of her favorite places, I think, just speaks to to maybe the seriousness of the situation. There's been a lot of speculation here, certainly over the last few days and weeks, that there is there is some sort of underlying issue that the Queen is now facing. Mm-hmm. That the language that has been used is that she's been facing episodic mobility problems, so she's pulled out of a number of events short term. So the sense maybe is that that maybe the situation is a little bit more serious than we first thought.
0: And uh, and I know that everyone who's listening to this knows this, but. She- She's been in that seat for seventy years. That's I mean, you've had people with entire lifespans in the UK who has only known Queen Elizabeth. That I can't understand the importance of that sitting here in the U.S. But that is tremendous.
1: Yeah, she's been. She has been the bedrock on which British society has been built, built, basically for a very long time. She's been a huge source of stability. In a country that has gone through huge amounts of change, out of the Second World War, the end of empire, the transition to a much more smaller, less significant state. She's been she's been with us throughout that entire journey. Um, she picked up from her father, obviously, and it has been a life filled w- with service mm-hmm. since then. Um, she lost her husband last year, Prince Philip, uh, and there was concern then that, that that would have an impact on her health. Uh, and and there was concern that that we would see what we're seeing now potentially playing out. Um, but close members of the royal family are now with her. That is pivotal as well. That there, there needs that there, there will be uh, an almost instant transferring of authority of power to Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales um and, and and a whole kind of raft of measures will be unveiled uh, and released uh, a 10 day process leading up to a potential funeral we don't know how bad the situation is i'm completely speculating here but she has been she has been pivotal this is this is going to be this is going to force this country to look again at who we are mm-hmm. what we stand for and where we go uh, you you can't underestimate how important this is
0: no n- not at all um and particularly It feels even more dramatic in the situation that's unfolding economically in the UK as well, where so many households, so many businesses are truly struggling. We're coming out of a pandemic after two years. There are real questions as to what the economy is going to look like, separating from the EU, what kind of industry is going to be able to increase, how you get more labor. I mean, just in terms of the economic situation that you guys are in over there, it also is a quite pivotal moment. And you have to wonder what the passing of the Queen would do for that. Does it bring people together in a different kind of way? Does it make you reevaluate what kind of country you want to be in in twenty, thirty yeah. years?
1: Well, I, I think in some ways the timing is is unfortunate. Um, we are going to see a very difficult winter with the Queen not there, and I think if she were to die, that would be a that would be a huge blow mm-hmm. for the country. I. We don't know what our health is, but this is just another aspect of the uncertainty that we are we're all living through right now. Um, We did in some ways before this announcement came out, we did we did get the news from Liz Truss on the support that is going to be provided. That would have settled a lot of people down in this country An understanding of what their energy bills are going to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, significantly higher than last year, but not as high as potentially many would have feared. This was Liz Truss talking the new prime minister
2: about that plan. From the 1st of October, a typical household will pay no more than £2,500 per year for each of the next two years while we get the energy market back on track.
0: That was Liz Truss, the prime minister, of course, speaking in her first PMQs um, about this package to support households as well as individuals. Let's get more on this with Rachel Morrison. She joins us now in the studio with Guy Rachel, How... How helpful is this going to be for people, everyday people? What can they be expecting now?
2: Well, it is going to be helpful in that it does limit um, the unit price that people are going to pay for energy for the next two years, which is longer than we were initially expecting. We were sort of thinking 18 months. So while most policymakers are kind of looking at this winter and trying to find ways to help consumers in the short term, the UK is looking to help consumers for two winters. So the £400 um, discount on bills that was already announced from October still stands. So although prices will still be higher than, you know, a year ago, it is a significant amount of help. It's a huge state intervention, but it is significant and it will really help people um, because some of the numbers that we were hearing, the estimates for how high bills were going to go to 5000 £6,000. People just wouldn't be able to pay those, and the government recognised that and stepped in.
1: Where's the incentive for me to turn my thermostat down? Where's the incentive for me to turn the light off?
2: Yes, that's really one of the problems with this um, with this mechanism, that you've addressed some of the cost issue, but that means that that kind of um, price signal is dampened somewhat for people to be more careful with energy, in response to that, the government has said that because prices are higher, that will still be there. But perhaps we won't see that kind of panicking of turning the lights off whenever you leave the room. And um, there was a great um, graphic story that we had about how much energy each appliance uses yep. in your home. Mm. You know, some of that awareness is going to be lost because, yeah, we're not getting quite please, such a strong price signal. as we other would my- have.
1: Please don't tell my children this I am I have become my father in as much as I basically walk around the house going who's left this light on <laughs> and and this is just going to undermine that whole push but what to be
3: honest. what's
0: the um, what's the equipment that runs the most is like a dishwasher or a washer dryer
1: all of it yeah, everything's things, on all things. the time
0: yeah well you know you got that happens, two kids and they're all dirty the heating <laughs> yeah the whole thing um here's a question for you um it's in place for two years, six months for businesses, but for two years for households. What does that tell us about how long the government expects this crisis to actually last? I mean, the rhetoric is just get through, you know, the winter, get through maybe some of the summer and then like we're good.
2: Yes, it's it all comes down to the problem that people see looming with the kind of gas storage levels this winter. So as we know, we filled up those gas storage levels in Europe. But we filled them with Russian gas, which we're no longer getting. So when we deplete those stores, probably to levels lower than we usually do, it's going to be even harder for us to refill those for next winter. So that kind of story is really gathering pace at the moment, that this isn't going to be a crisis for just one winter. It's going to be at least two winters, if not longer.
1: Rachel, what happens tomorrow? EU leaders are gathering, EU energy ministers, EU finance ministers are gathering in Brussels to talk about this, the UK is not going to be part of that, but we all need to talk to each other and figure out how we're going to tackle this together. How much um, cross border cooperation are we anticipating if we have a cold winter?
2: Yes, it is difficult for the UK because anything decided in Europe obviously does impact the market, and things like a price cap would have an impact on those um, interconnectors, both gas and power, that we exchange um, flows with the continent. So from that point of view, there could be you know, border taxes and more complicated measures that are needed if Europe decides to do something that really impacts the price and the UK doesn't follow. Um, when it comes to one of the big issues, uh, liquidity, and providing liquidity for companies for trading, the UK seems to be in line with what we're hearing um, coming out of Europe as well, that the energy companies, utilities in particular, are finding the collateral requirements for margin calls just crippling. And we're seeing increasing um, evidence of governments stepping in. We saw the, the Bank of England and the Treasury announce a £40 billion pound fund for the UK. And we expect Europe tomorrow to announce something similar, some, some way of helping companies with government or state-backed credit facilities.
0: What's the kind of unity you think we're going to get out of the ministers tomorrow? Is everyone going to be on board with the same kind of thing?
2: We've heard a little bit in the run-up of which countries support what, and we're sort of getting an idea that the price cap for renewables and nuclear of 200 euros, that that is likely. I think the interesting one is going to be the possible cap on Russian gas supplies, because we have very different views on whether that's something that europe wants to do whether it's going to even be effective because we're not getting that much russian gas anymore and some of the things that vladimir putin has said will happen in response that you know europe just won't get any russian energy if um, there are price caps so i think that one will be interesting to see if that makes it through because obviously that would be quite a kind of bold move by europe
1: absolutely Rachel, thank you very much indeed. Great coverage as ever, Bloomberg's Rachel Morrison. The, the ECB, Alex, is having to look at this very, very carefully as well. And there was um, some comments today from Christine Lagarde talking about the fiscal response that we are seeing. Clearly, monetary and fiscal, slightly different pages at the moment in terms of what is happening here. So let's focus next on what we got from Christine Lagarde at the ECB. We'll go to Frankfurt live. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable, with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele, on Bloomberg Radio.
4: We made forecasting errors, as did all the international institutions, as did most of the economists, because it's virtually impossible to actually anticipate and include in your models COVID, the war in Ukraine, the energy blackmail, So yes, we made those errors. And when you you, you go under the surface and try to find what is the origin of those errors, it's predominantly related to energy.
0: That was Christine Lagarde speaking earlier at the ECB's press conference. This is when members of the press started asking about their economic models. The idea is that you're looking at inflation next year at a high of 5.5 percent and then growth of just nine-tenths of one percent next year, can we trust those models? She was sounding a little bit stressed and a little bit defensive, to be honest, and then kept continued to go on to say, can you forecast what's going to happen to energy prices? Let's get more details on this with Yana Randau who joins us, um, on the ECB. That was a fascinating sound that we just played from her, because that was a defensive move I think she was making. She's not wrong, but still, it is their job to make these economic models work.
3: Absolutely, and uh, I think what uh, they have struggled with a lot is that uh, those models uh, cannot forecast uh, what's happening um, uh, admittedly. Uh, a lot will uh, a lot depends and has depended over the past half year on um, the mind of Vladimir Putin in Russia and uh, um, you know show me which model can can do that. Uh, not even gut feeling can can probably capture uh, the risks uh, that uh, that you know may, may come from from decisions he takes um but that said um the the forecasts are stunning uh, as you pointed out uh inflation is is very very high um growth the growth outlook looks um well um moderate and and modest uh, at best, and uh, what I thought was incredibly stunning was that um, the baseline scenario still does not include a recession uh, um, yeah. two quarters of stagnation um, which which a lot of economists uh, have taken issue with um, what she also said, and I thought that was that was uh, really telling there is a downside scenario in the forecast, and that indeed has a contraction of zero point nine percent. Uh, in there for the next year. And and listen to that. The assumption uh, that's driving that downside risk scenario um, is that Russia stops all gas deliveries to Europe. And uh, following the news over the past couple of uh, days and weeks, of course, we're pretty much there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that tells you something about which scenario is the more likely one at the current juncture.
1: There's always a follow up story. There's always a finessing of the narrative. You've broken some great stories uh, on the back of ECB announcements, and we get another one today. ECB officials don't exclude a 75 basis point hike in October. We're not done yet, it seems, and the narrative seems to be persisting in a very hawkish tone
3: that's very that's very very true um, lagarde herself was was very very hawkish. Uh, she said um, several further increases are necessary. front loading will continue also in the future. She did say seventy five is not the norm um, but when you talk about front loading then um, it's certainly part of the debate and um, a lot of a lot of the people that we've spoken to since uh, the press conference, or between the press conference and now, they've said, "Look, if the if the outlook doesn't improve, and uh, you know, looking at looking at the news and looking at the numbers and looking at what kind of information arrives until the ECB's next policy meeting, then um, you know, I would be willing to bet that those 75 will be a very serious option on the table, indeed."
0: The energy ministers are going to be meeting to talk about emergency measures to help people deal with high power prices. Does Christine Lagarde like this or not? I, I, I get that it could shave off some heat from inflation, but it can also then move money towards spending and buying stuff. Is this something she welcomes or worries about?
3: Um, the ECB's position on that is pretty clear. They are saying whatever governments are doing, it needs to be targeted to the extreme. So it needs to, or governments need to make sure that it's really only the poorest of the poor, th- those ones that are deserving, that are really struggling, that are uh, not able to cope with the prices that we are seeing, that those people are being helped while uh, people with, with a li- little bit more money in their paychecks, in their bank accounts, uh, they will have to absorb it. And uh, so she will look very, very carefully at uh, how targeted uh, governments uh, will uh, will be in offering support. And um, I, I've raised this with a lot of people, and most of them say, as long as um, that money is used to ensure that people keep up spending and and make sure that people are uh, being able to afford. What they would have bought otherwise, and it makes up the the, the inflation part of of consumption. That's fine um, if it is not that much targeted. If it actually fuels consumption, then it's a problem.
1: Yana, you, you earlier we spoke to you on television, and following the conversation we had with you, we talked to Peter Pratt, the former chief economist uh, at the ECB, and he was a little concerned uh, about the the language that was being used going forward. He felt that this is an economy that is slowing down pretty rapidly, uh, and he was worried that the Fed has been, uh, sorry, the ECB has been a little on the punchy side.
3: Yeah, I mean this is a classic dovish argument, right? That uh, uh the doves are highlighting recession risks. They are saying the economy is fragile. Um we are moving into a situation uh where inflation uh will actually slow because uh because demand will weaken inevitably. Um that is not something that the hawks agree terribly um or, or believe terribly. Um they are saying yes, um uh, the economy might slow down. We might even fall into a recession. But um, it is technical because it is driven by, by um, things outside uh, outside their control, essentially by energy. And they don't expect us to have a massive impact uh, on inflation. The labor market is very strong. Um, employment is still rising. There is a massive shortage of skilled mm-hmm. workers. Um, that means companies are not just going to go and fire those people, which would then, of course, weaken... Uh, 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 demand for con- for consumption and and uh, you know alleviate some of those inflation pressures mm-hmm. so demand is probably going to be relatively strong going forward unless of course um you know uh, uh, bad things happen to the economy yeah. and and um energy is cut off um But that's not a given. And and so here we are waiting and, um, you know, to see what's going to happen.
0: Yana Rendo, wonderful reporting. We love your analysis. Thank you so very much. Now we'll turn the light uh, to the Fed dealing with some of the same issues. Also very hawkish. This is Bloomberg.
3: This is
2: The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. I'm Bloomberg DAB. Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. It's just past 5.30 where you guys are, just past 12.30 here in the US. Let me get you updated on the US market. So a really weird session had evolved. The NASDAQ is now down by six tenths of 1%. The SP is off by about four tenths of 1%. The sell off in the bond market seems to make a lot of sense, particularly in the front end, as Fed Chair Jay Powell was just as hawkish today as he was back in Jackson Hole. You now have a seven basis point move to the upside uh, on the two year. And no surprise, the dollar index uh, also holding around uh, the highs of the session. Wh- what I mean to say that it's interesting is that we can't really find direction at one point you had the nasdaq 100 up like one full percentage point what i do know guy wall street is catching up to the market And Powell is reiterating the hawkish stance. And what I mean by that is Bank of America, Goldman Sachs and Jeffries today all upgraded their September rate hike forecast to 75 basis points. And it's not just that, but we're also seeing an increase in the terminal rate that uh, economists are now expecting on the high end, uh, four and a quarter. Um, That is so far. I mean, that's just going to not help anyone else except for the U.S. That's like a stronger dollar. How do you stop that with that kind of outlook?
1: Yeah, but but the message is clear. I I didn't think what we got from Powell today was was much different from what nope. we got at Jackson Hole as you say. I they they are I think they're just trying to reinforce the message, make sure that everybody is on the same page, make sure that the banks do upgrade their forecasts. There does see, it was interesting. I I think it was Peter Prep was talking about this a little bit earlier on. There was a BIS meeting, which is basically the central bank of central banks, right? They all get together. And after that the message has become much more hawkish consistently from a from a range of central banks. And clearly, they decided they all need to sing for the same hymn sheet. We are going to be listened to us. Pay attention. We're not kidding. Mm-hmm. We need to go much more aggressively here. And and the market's been conditioned for so long that ultimately the Fed will blink and other central banks will blink that it's taken them a long time to catch up to that.
0: Yeah. And, and even um, Evans um, speaking now, too, from the Fed, uh, he is worried about the global economy slowing down. But the, the Fed's not going to slow. They're going to just keep on going. they gotta get got to cool prices. He still believes they can do it without a recession, but nonetheless. Um, so, as we were mentioning, Jay Powell was talking in an interview with the Cato Institute. It was pretty wide-ranging. Um, and I just want to play a little bit uh, for you of what he was saying.
5: We need to act now forthrightly, strongly, as we have been doing, and we need to keep at it until the job is done to avoid that. We think we can avoid the, the kind of very high social costs that, that Paul Volcker and the Fed uh, had to bring into play in order to get inflation back down and set us up then for for a long period of of price stability. History cautions uh, strongly against prematurely loosening policy. I I can assure you that my colleagues and I are strongly committed to to this project and, and we will keep at it until the job is done.
0: Jay Powell, of course, speaking at the Cato Institute. So, who better to talk to? Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent, joining me here in the studio. Did you learn anything new today?
5: Uh, Not really. Um, This was an opportunity for Powell to basically drive that message home again, that you, a guy, were just talking about, that we're not going to give up. We're going to make inflation our priority. And even if unemployment starts to rise, we're going to keep raising rates until we see inflation go down. Uh, That was the message he delivered at Jackson Hole. And this is a a little more relaxed version of the same message today. Where does
1: that leave us? Is this this basically... 75 75, 75 I, it does seem as if the as if Wall Street is finally catching up the market is pricing in the possibility that the next meeting does deliver 75. That makes it much easier for the Fed to do that. Is this the way that we're going to be playing this The Fed is going to be out in front and the market's going to have to be playing catch up.
5: Well, I think – I hate to sound like the Fed, but I think it's going to be meeting by meeting, depending on the data. And you'll get clues from what Fed officials are saying ahead of time. They have already laid out um, the idea that at some point they will scale back the size of their increases. And I think what you'll get is more of a hint of where they think their pause rate is, which Mm -hmm. may end up being the terminal rate. Um, it's somewhere around four percent, maybe a little below, maybe a little above. And the closer they get to that, the less they'll have to do if they keep front loading. And then the issue is, what are the data telling the markets that the the Fed will likely do?
0: Well, in terms of the of the data, I wonder going forward what we need to pay more attention to, the CPI, or the supply and demand massive mismatch that does not seem to be solving itself in the jobs market.
5: Uh, it's definitely going to be the CPI and the PCE. The inflation indicators are what they are focused on. Now, all of it is of a piece in the sense that the, the strength of the economy, the uh, strength of the labor market possibly contributes to inflation. You can maybe look at it as a secondary indicator in the sense that you look at the inflation numbers to get a feel for what the fed is going to do and the jobs numbers for a, f- a feel of what the reaction is going to be in the economy the fed thinks the economy and the labor market are strong and if that continues then the odds of a recession fall so uh, they'll be keeping an eye on that for that reason
1: in terms of kind of what comes next I- i'm trying to understand kind of the, the the process we're going to go through as we work our way through this winter, Mike, and trying to get, as you say, we're going meeting by meeting. But at what point do we start to understand how this economy is performing with higher rates? When do we start to get our first inkling of kind of the policy lag having worked its way through?
5: Well, in one sense, you already have because you've seen what's happened to the housing market. Um, It's going to take a while. Rates like,
0: what, 5.85 now? Yeah. Yeah. uh,
5: The the rates have gone up and the housing market activity has just kind of dropped off. Um, We'll get over the next couple of months, we'll see what credit does, whether people are starting to scale back on borrowing because interest rates are higher. Mm -hmm. And we'll hear as we get into, I suppose, um, the 1st of October, We'll start to get the earnings reports for the third quarter, and we'll hear from companies about their capital spending plans. Those will be more leading indicators than what you get from the actual economic data, which tend to lag.
0: To that point, earnings. Um, I was talking to Gina Martin-Adams, and she was saying that they went through the transcripts and that the mentions of inflation went down, but the mentions of the dollar went up, meaning that companies are becoming more concerned with the dollar than they are with inflation. Um, Jeffries, in their note that they put out just an hour ago, said that the stronger dollar could represent as much as a 100 basis point hike from the Fed, which would feel like the terminal rate was at 5% and not 4%. When are we going to feel that? How bad that's going to get?
5: It's not as bad for the United States as it would be for other countries, because we're a much more self-contained economy, Mm -hmm. so we're much less dependent on external trade, and the value of the dollar is the same in Alabama as it is in Idaho, so it doesn't make a difference within the country's borders. It makes a difference in terms of imports, and we will uh, be paying more uh, for imported goods, but uh, that's been going down, uh, so... Uh, it's all it, it's all a problem more for the rest of the world. Now if the rest of the world slows, that has blowback effects on the US. in terms of what they're buying and exports and things like that. And as far as how long the dollar continues, it, it will keep going up until it doesn't in the sense that there, there's not a dynamic at play that we're waiting on somebody else to take its place. It's how long do investors think that they will get a better return from buying U.S. assets than putting their money in other countries.
1: Mike, we're going to leave it there. It's going to be uh, an interesting road, an interesting journey. Great to have you along on that journey to guide us to which way we're going next. Uh, Up next, Alex's favorite subject. Honestly, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to take it easy. We're going to talk (laughs) about sports. She's got Oh no no sorry that's Kelly Lines.
0: Yep just kidding. Yeah yeah yeah. Just somebody but we are co- different. We are Somebody we are different. somebody completely I'm a touch different older.
1: <laughs> Amazon Sports NFL it's all coming up next.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening and listening to Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York, Guy Johnson over in London. So the National Football League, we call it the NFL here in the U.S., uh, will kick off its regular season on Thursday. How you watch it could be changing. So starting September 5th, if you want to watch football, and I mean football American football Thursday night
1: the game you don't play with your feet I'm you don't play with, feet, play with your feet. your hands no. so not not football
0: well you can kick it but anyway if you want to watch it on Thursday you're going to log into amazon.com prime video streaming service for you guys over in Europe that may not seem like a big deal because there's been a lot of exposure to streaming sports uh, on Amazon for a while but here in the U.S. it's a really big deal Let's get more on this with Ed Ludlow joining us from San Francisco, who we are so happy is back. We missed you very much. Congratulations on the marriage.
6: Thank you. I missed you guys a lot.
0: He lies. Um, (laughs) Walk me through uh, how Thursday night football on Amazon is a big deal.
6: Yeah, it's a big deal because it's a potentially new audience on the NFL side, and it's a nut that Amazon has been trying to crack, right? This is a, a fierce um, battleground for the legacy broadcasters, Fox, CBS. Um, they have had to pay a a lot more than the previous holders of Thursday night, uh, paid for it on linear TV. So it's, it's a $13 billion deal over 11 years or $1.2 billion per annum. They paid 80% more for those Thursday rights than the previous holders did which was Fox, and that contract ended a year early. So that gives you a sense of, of what they had to do to get it. But it is still significantly less than um, the Saturday and Monday football. And as you guys were joking, football, American football, we're talking here. Um, and, and let's be honest, I think you know most Americans would, would accept Thursday night fixtures have traditionally not been as sexy. They've not been the big marquee fixtures that the weekend ones are, but it's still a foot in the door for Amazon.
1: And is it the thin end of the wedge, i.e. does this change football and the NFL forever? Are other streamers going to be following in behind Amazon?
6: You know, it, it, it's interesting. I was looking on the Bloomberg Terminal, FA Go, at and trying to work out how much money Amazon would make from streaming. And you can't because it gets lumped in with the prime subscription model, right? So if you're a prime customer in the U.S. and remember these NFL streaming Uh, rights are for the U.S. only. So if you're a Prime customer in London guy, I'm sorry, you won't be able to stream Thursday Night Football in the middle of the night. Um, But it's around 7% of sales annually in each quarter for Amazon for the full Prime subscription. So we have no idea how much of that 7% comes from content streaming. You know, the other big event recently for Amazon has been Lord of the Rings. Um,
0: Which is awesome.
6: Let's agree. It's awesome. I Sorry. loved it. I've loved it so far. We do have soft third-party data, and I am going to answer your question, Guy. The soft third-party data shows that around the release of the Rings of Power, Amazon Prime app downloads did see an uptick. Not dramatic, but they did see an uptick. And so I guess the question is, is Amazon attracting a new audience, a new, a new section of customer that's willing to pay the $139 a year for Prime because they love Thursday Night Football so much that they're aware they can get it on Amazon Prime and that they're, they're, they're happy to do it.
0: Yeah, that's what I don't quite understand. Is like what they're trying to—is it the ads that they want to capitalize on? Like, do they really? Like how? I'm already a Prime member, so how are you going to make money off of me from that? Like, how yes. much can they really? If you're not a Prime member already, is that enough to make it happen? I mean, am I going to go buy toilet paper, and watch the NFL? Like, I, I genuinely and I know I'm short-sighted. I, I don't get it.
6: Okay, answer your question directly. Of the 100 most watched broadcasts on television in 2021 75 of them were sporting events okay really and The market for TV advertising, linear TV advertising, streamed content TV advertising is $66 billion a year. I think Guy, you and I talked about this on television in the prior earnings quarter, the big boost on the bottom line for Amazon was its advertising business. It did surprisingly well in Mm. a quarter where its advertising peers suffered. So yes, to directly answer your question, Alex, it is partly an ad play as well. Sports sports i I
1: thought you did well you did well thank you honestly you did well you looked really confused talking to kaylee a little bit earlier on but but with i I think i think i think ed nailed it
0: well ed's the best i mean kaylee's the best you guys are the best in different ways i did read the article at least twice to truly understand what i was talking about ed thanks a lot good to have you back Ed ludlow uh joining us you're listening to the cable this is bloomberg
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome back. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. Uh, There are many challenges that we face at the moment. Um, We are dealing with this uh, energy crisis. Uh, We're trying to deal with inflation. But in the background, there is still this issue of COVID that we haven't completely dealt with yet. Uh, the Chinese mega city of Chengdu extending its lockdown. The COVID story persisting there. Today, we heard uh, a statement from the U.S. consulate in Hong Kong. U.S. travelers with COVID symptoms um, should reconsider traveling to Hong Kong. Uh, were they to be found to be positive, they risk a stay in a government facility uh, as a result of that positive test. Uh, so the situation. Remains significant. China obviously remains the epicenter of the story, but we are heading into winter and it's going to be a very bumpy winter. We haven't spoken to him for a while, uh, but uh, Blueberg Sam Fazelli rejoining me here in the radio studio. Sam, we haven't seen you for a while. I feel we're in need of an update. We still talk about COVID on a daily basis because of what is happening in China. Elsewhere, the situation has become much less dramatic. Is that the correct interpretation? Is that where we are? This is now a Chinese problem. Um, so, Guy, very nice to have you. Uh,
4: have Very nice of you to have me back. It's a great uh, pleasure. <laughs> uh, although I'm, I'm pretty sure that that any time I get called back is because there's something that that's worrying no, you. not I don't, I don't yeah. think so. I no, wouldn't but, worry but look, too much about we, that. We've, we've got, and even I have, I don't even wear a mask on my plane anymore. I mean, how <gasps> silly... But- How crazy have I got?
1: So I flew the other day and did wear a mask.
4: Yeah, well, I just gave up because the the day that I caught my Omicron, I had been wearing a mask on the plane. I had been wearing it in the airport. Somewhere, somehow, the thing got to me still. So anyway, um, but that's not an advertising for anyone to take their mask off or not. It's just an individual decision. But if you think about what's going on in China, they they have very low uptake of vaccines. It's not just about vaccines not being great there. It's the low uptake that's the problem. Mm. And then you've also got the fact that very few of these people have had, ever had an infection, as far as we can tell. So as soon as you let that, to open that door slightly ajar, I think it will catch like a wildfire. That's why they have to constantly control it this way until the day they're ready to manage it. Over here, mm. we have a different situation.
0: Okay. Well talk about the situation there and then and then move to the US. Like I tell you in New York, it feels like everyone's declared that COVID's over. Like I don't know where that came from, but that's like I feel like what we're living in right now.
4: Right. It's in my maths, in New York equals London. It's the same mm. here. I don't know if Guy has a different feel
1: about it. Yeah, feel I, it. It, it is it is it is not a concern. Gone. No, it's finished. As far as in people's minds, it is. I mean, the pictures Sh- are still there. Like, I, so I, I was on holiday last week. The, the breakfast buffet is back in a big way. Ah,
0: no one yeah. should have e- everything.
4: that. Everything. I'm going to a conference, cancer conference, tomorrow in Paris. I'm really interested to see what people are doing. Are they wearing masks in the auditorium? Which no. is like being in an airport. I Why was in a, a
0: I was at a room? conference yesterday. Nobody, nobody right. wore masks. Well, it I was like you, free season.
4: Yeah, I really don't want to be wearing a mask all day for five days. But the point is. Here's the question. We've been through a wave. Why do these waves end? What happens? Yeah. Am I going to be waking up one day having dreamt this amazing outcome that perhaps somehow we're um, not
1: necessarily going to be seeing big, big waves? I think that is what, okay, unlikely. Just, just stop for a second. Why do waves end? This is I'm really curious about this because it seems as if, to my mind, that we suddenly hit a point. So I, we talked a lot about herd immunity at the beginning. But actually, we, but maybe we get to a threshold where actually, maybe it's not herd immunity, but it's enough of a break in the system that enough people have had it, and that's levels much lower than anticipated, and it kind of fizzles out before it comes back again, as you say, in the next yeah. wave.
4: Yeah, but you, ha- you have one issue, and, and that is that we don't really know how good the testing is at the minute. All I can tell you is that if you yep. look at test positivity, the number of tests that are coming back positive is at ridiculous numbers. In the U.S., it's like 43%. sorry, in Germany, it's 43% U.S. They're all in double digits. So that means that there's a lot of infections that are going on that we don't know about. But Mm -hmm. why do they end? Well, it finds eventually, because it's not lockdowns anymore, right? Mm -hmm. It eventually finds all those people who are susceptible to it. A whole bunch probably had some immunity that didn't allow them to get an infection. And uh, there's those magic people who don't ever seem to catch it. So it just Mm -hmm. burns itself out until the next immune escape variant comes along. Where I'm worried, we might have one for the winter.
0: So that's what. So we're all going to get now our Omicron-focused shot. Then that means, from what you're saying, we're expecting a different variant than in the winter that's going to kind of blow the whole thing out of the water.
4: Well, there's already subvariants of the subvariants that are that are kicking around with new mutations that give them even more escape from antibodies. How good are the antibodies from the, um, the boosters going to help against those new ones? I don't. Nobody knows. They don't even know how good they are going to be particularly the one being used in the US, against B 45 currently in the US because it's only been animal studies. So it doesn't make, mean it's unsafe, but we just don't know. OK, so what do you think is going to happen this winter? So I, I'm, I think it's going to be a game of two, two different sides here. On our side, we have the BA1 vaccine that's currently being pushed out. Yep. I think that's going to prove to be the lesser of the two vaccines versus the one in the US. So I'm worried that you'll get a little bit of a, a, a control against infections and we'll still get our wave here. In the U.S., it's like, more likely that the ba 45 bivalent that they're using is more capable of blocking for a while. But then the question is how long? Mm-hmm. So if, you, if everyone rushes to get their booster in the next four weeks, you'll probably start seeing another wave or start of infections rising by Christmas.
0: Awesome. Um, quickly, go back to China for a second. After the uh, People's Congress in October, do you think that there'll be a big pickup in vaccines and it's kind of a, a big move to the R- mRNA ones?
4: Well, if they're going to do that, they haven't got to deal with anyone yet, so at no. least not with the Modernas or Pfizer-BioNTechs of this mm-hmm. world. So the question then also is that it, it, what, are they, what would have changed suddenly for them to want to go out there and push people to get vaccinated? Why haven't they done it all this time now?
0: Mm-hmm. Fair point. Sam, we miss you. We love you, even on good news days, kind of. Uh, Sam Vazelli Bloomberg Intelligence, always a sincere pleasure. Thank you so very much. Um, well, you've been listening to The Cable. Hope you enjoy the show. Guy, you have a busy, busy day now still in front of you, right?
1: Well, we're going to continue to monitor what is happening up at Balmoral. Uh, The Queen is under medical supervision. She is said to be comfortable, uh, and she is now surrounded by her immediate family. Uh, We'll continue to keep you updated on what is happening uh, throughout the night uh, as we watch what happens developing up in Scotland. Hope you enjoyed the
0: show. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg.